So the last few weeks, been speaking from different things in the book of Deuteronomy, and I believe there is so much to be learned in the book of Deuteronomy, as is much of the Old Testament. But I will remind us at the end of my message today, but I want to remind us up front, too, that the word is clear that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's beneficial to each and every one of us preparing us for the good works that the God has prepared for us long ago. But we also need to remember, we live in a new covenant, not the old covenant. While the old covenant has some characteristics that applied to the people of that time, they don't necessarily apply to us. So even some of the lessons that we learn from, they don't specifically transfer to us as they did to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant saints. So I'll make a point of clarifying that as we go, but just keeping that in mind. Sometimes we can get into the Old Testament, and it's awesome, and it's beneficial, but we can start applying things to us that Jesus has already dealt with, He's already taken care of. You know, we'll see in the Old Testament, it says in Deuteronomy over and over and over and over again that if you follow my commands, I'll bless you. In other words, it's very clear that with obedience, he will bless. But it's also very clear with disobedience, he curses, he punishes. He doesn't do that to us as New Testament saints. He will correct us, he will rebuke us, he will discipline us as his children, always to bring him back to himself. But it's never a punishment for our sins. We are under the covenant of grace. We don't want to abuse grace, but we don't want to fall into legalism either. This morning, uh, we're going to continue on the theme of a new beginning. For those that may be visitors or maybe not have been here too much in the last few weeks, we'll review a little bit, but not too much, but to say that God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, are parked, camped, on the east side of the Jordan River after 40 years in the desert, ready to enter into the promised land. And again, there's so much that applies to each and every one of us as newborn believers, born again by the power of God. We're entering into a promised land. We entered into that promised land, promised land of our salvation. We'll we'll not see the fulfillment of it in totality until we're in heaven, until Christ has returned. But there is a dramatic change in the life of an unbeliever, just as there, when we become a believer, just as there is for Israel when they're going into the promised land. So this morning I'm going to be looking at the Christian life. The actual title of this week's message is Proper Alignment is the Key. Proper Alignment is the Key. And the alignment I'm talking about is aligning our life as Christians with a consuming passion for Jesus Christ. Lining our life in such a way that the life we live as Christians is aligned with the heart of God. So we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking again at the Scripture, if you love the Lord your God, how are we supposed to love Him, right? We're supposed to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. 
New Testament, it adds, and with all your mind. We're to love him totally, completely. Jealous for God as he's jealous for us. When I say that, even in my own mind sometimes, it, it, does it sound a little extreme to anybody? That's how we're supposed to love him. The little questions pop into your mind like, well, what about my family? Where do they fit into that? What about my marriage, my wife? Where does that fit into that? How about my children? What if I love him that way? What will happen to all of these things in my life? What will happen to my reputation if I live my life aligned with an all-consuming passion for Jesus Christ? What about my career? All of these things, and I I think that they're probably good questions that we don't understand. It's interesting to me, if you look at chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, before, immediately before he speaks those words that God told him to speak, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and immediately after he says those words, he talks about the family. Specifically, he talks about children. And I think that's very significant, that it's right before and right after he tells us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. As we look at the scripture, I think we'll realize that far from bringing any kind of harm or damage or destroying family, marriages, relationships with children, it's the exact opposite. As we live our life aligned with God, aligned with a consuming passion for the Lord, all those other things around us are blessed. They're all strengthened. They're all benefited. And that's what I hope we'll see today as we look into Deuteronomy in particular. And it's not... I hope I can make this clear when I get to this point, but how many of you ever heard you just got to get your priorities right? (laughs) Of course we have. You know what? We just got to have balance, get balance in our life. We just got to balance everything. Well, I'm going to try to tell us today that they're, they're, they sound good, but they're not really helpful unless, first of all, we have our lives aligned properly with Christ. We'll see. I think we'll be able to see what I'm saying there. They're not the same thing. As a matter of fact, you can go online and, and you... You Google alignment, and you're going to get all kinds of business applications, how to run a business, alignment, and then priorities and balance. Unless the alignment's right, priorities aren't all that helpful. Keeping everything in balance. But what sounds good isn't always all that helpful. So I'm going to go back a little bit and remind us one more time. Moses is speaking to the people before they're going in to go into the promised land. And remember the crowd, the people he's talking to. They're on the verge of entering the promised land, but their forefathers, 40 years earlier, were on the verge of entering into the promised land too. They were camped at Kadesh Barnea. They had traveled from Mount Sinai. They were at Kadesh Barnea, and there was the land. And you probably all know the story, especially if you've been here the last few weeks. We know the story. They send in the 12 spies. The spies bring back a report. Ten of them bring back a report that causes fear in the people. And ultimately, the people reject God 
for some reason. And I believe the reasons are probably numerous, but I think they all come rooted out of that fear that they had. We'll look at a little bit at that in a minute or two. But their forefathers had been there, and, and Moses is reminding them, guess what? The giants that they were afraid of 40 years earlier, they're still there. The thick walls and the tall walls of the fortified cities, they're still there. It's going to cost you something to enter into the promised land. I'm going to give you the land, but you're going to have to fight the battles. And that's all still in place. So he's telling them all these things to remind them, don't do what your forefathers did. Don't do the same thing. Don't make the same mistakes. So when the spies came back, why did the people react this way? Well, I don't think we can nail down specific a specific reason, but I think we can get a hint from the Scriptures of what some of the reasons may have been. I think in Deuteronomy 1, verse 39 and 40, we might see a good clue. And as I looked at that and, and, and just mold it in my mind, I said, you know what, I can kind of relate to this. In Deuteronomy 1, 39 40, it says, Moreover, this is Moses reminding the new generation. He says, Moreover, your little ones who you said would become a prey and your sons who this day have no knowledge of good or evil shall enter there and I will give it to them and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn around and set out for the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. So they're at Kadesh Barnea. He says to go in. They get the report, and they're nervous. And one of the things they seem to be concerned about is, what about my kids? This is going to be dangerous. There's giants in the land. There's fortified cities. What about my kids? And if we go back into Numbers chapter 14, we read about where it actually was taking place as the story was unfolded. And it says, all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron after they got that bad report. And the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Think about that. We know the story. They were very prophetic. They got their wish. They all die in the desert. All of them, over the age of 18, die in the desert. It says, oh, that we would die in that wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into a land to fall by the sword? They are telling God who has delivered them, done all these miraculous things. They're now accusing him of intentionally taking them out of Egypt, taking them out of the wilderness so he can have them killed by swords. Crazy. But look at the next little phrase. Our wives and our little ones will become plunder." Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? The part I can relate to is, if I am going into an unknown, if it sounds scary and dangerous, 10 out of the 12 spies all gave the same negative report. I'm a dad. Married, I've got a wife. I've got some kids, some children. If we do this, this is dangerous. What's going to happen to them? They could be killed in this process. 
We could get defeated in a battle and they're taken into slavery. My wife, who knows what the enemy will do to my wife and my children. Now, I'm sure there were probably some more selfish fears than that motivating them. But that, to me, makes a little bit of sense. And we see it brought back up as Moses is reminding the people of what their forefathers had done. They're now the kids that have grown up. And they're now the adults. And they're standing there facing the Jordan River, knowing that they have wives and they have children. Now they're supposed to go in and take the land. And they know that it's filled with pagan people. Malachites, the Canaanites, and the Ites go on and on and on. And they're all evil and they're all powerful. And Moses is reminding him what took place. Because those parents were afraid for their children, or at least in part, their children spent the greatest part of their life, the next 40 years, walking around in the desert. Parents all died in that same desert. Now Moses is saying, we're going in. Sometimes, if our life is not aligned with the passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, we can easily lose trust and confidence in him when he's asking us to do something for his glory. Remember, those people were supposed to go in and he was going to give them the land. They had to take it. And they were to go in and live as a people whose lives would demonstrate a holy and righteous God. They were supposed to go in and live different than the world. They didn't go. And now they are getting ready to go. Was it a reasonable fear? Probably. If you remove God from the equation. Probably very reasonable fear. If you remove God from the equation. But it's foolishness and folly to allow unfounded fears to cause us to lose confidence and faith and trust in God. I would offer to us if our lives is in alignment passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, that will not happen. It will not happen. You know, I'm going to say some things today that could easily be misunderstood, so want to ask my elders to clarify it, feel free. You know, we're not called to live for our families. Right? We all know that. That is not my primary calling, to live for my family. My primary calling is to live a life that brings glory and honor to God. My life is to be aligned by a passion an all-consuming passion for Jesus. And I guarantee you, if that is the case, my family's going to be blessed. But if I get it out of alignment and I live my life as if my only calling is for my family, now I've got to deal with idolatry in my life. Marriage. You know, 
no wife to desire that their husband live their life for them. No husband should desire that their wife would live their life for them. Hope you're hearing me clearly. Okay? Why? Because if I am doing that, I am making my spouse an idol in my life. And my spouse, as awesome as she is, is not equipped by God. She does not carry the capacity to be God in my life. I am putting an unrealistic expectation on her. Be something that she could never be. If I'm living my life expecting my wife to meet every single need in my life, it's going to fail miserably and vice versa. Because we do not have that capacity. There are things that only God can do in our lives. There's needs that only he can meet in our life. Now, if my life is in alignment with this passion for Jesus Christ, loving him, trying to please him, bring glory and honor to him, my spouse, your spouse, is going to be blessed. Totally blessed. Now, if my life is in alignment, to me, that's the only way Ephesians 5s can work. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And some days, not my wife, but some days, our wives can be a little bit unlovable. I've heard. Some days. And I have been told that some days my wife's husband is not real lovable. And she doesn't want to respect and submit to me at all. And yet the word of God is very clear. Husbands, you love your wife on the most unlovable day there ever was as I love the church. And not only did I give my life to the church, I, I came to serve the church. I sent the Holy Spirit to serve the church. You are called as a man, if you're in alignment with God and your, your passion is for Jesus Christ and pleasing him, you're going to love your wife like I love the church. You're going to serve her like I serve the church. Man, big job in the flesh. Can't be done. Wives, submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. Are you kidding me? I'm supposed to submit to him? He's an idiot. Not every day, but a lot of them. He does really foolish things. And we have to suffer the consequences of some of his foolishness. You're looking for the get-out-of-jail-free card. There isn't one. If our life is aligned with Jesus Christ and our compassion, our passion is driven by this overwhelming desire to please him. He says, submit to your husband as unto me. Don't submit to him because he's not an idiot. Don't submit to him because he makes all the great choices. Submit unto him because you trust me for him. Unless we have that alignment right, man, those jobs, no wonder marriages struggle when we get out of alignment. 
our relationship with the Lord. The last thing we need to do is create idols for our spouses. Frankly, it's, that's not love at all. That you're, you're putting a burden on them they do not have the capacity to carry. They will fail. We will fail. How about our children? How much do we love them? Well, this, a lot of the same principles apply to our children as it does to marriage. You know, we, we can make idols of our children. I don't know if that's what Israel was doing back in that day, if they were, they were using them as an excuse, maybe. But we can truly make idols out of our children. We worship our children. We live our life for our children. And we are making them something that we are now worshiping. I, I really think one of the reasons we see so many children and they turn into adults that are so self-focused, they're used to being God. They're used to being worshipped. They're worshipped in the home. We are teaching and training them that they're supposed to be worshipped. And boy, are boy, are they surprised when they get out in the real world and discover, hey, it doesn't work like that. Their expectations aren't met. We have created a mindset that they're little gods. And they're going to suffer the consequences. Long, long time. You know, it gives some more meaning or clarity to Matthew 10, 37, where it says, He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If we're in alignment, and God is that all-consuming passion in my life, he's very clear how we're to love our children. He's very clear that they are precious in his sight and therefore should be precious in our sight. He's very clear that there is an unconditional love that heaven has for us, and we should have for them. If we're in alignment, it's awesome. But it's easy to get out of alignment. So what do we do? Well, this is where I'm going to come back to alignment. I'll give you a definition. This is a worldly definition, but I think it helps us understand it. It's a state of agreement or a cooperation. If I'm in alignment with God, we are in agreement. I'm agreeing with him. He's not agreeing with me. I'm agreeing with him. I'm going to cooperate with him. Church, he's given us the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct us. So it's not like it's an impossible task. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He gives us grace. And he says, stay in alignment. Another definition is a proper adjustment for coordinated functioning. Kind of a clumsy way to say it, but I like the picture. If I get in alignment, things are going to function well. If I am in alignment with God, things will function well. And always get the results that I want because my thinking gets out of alignment with God's ways. All of a sudden, I'm in alignment with God. I'm doing what he wants me to do, but it goes the wrong direction in my mind. Because I all of a sudden forgot that I don't have the mind of Christ. His thoughts are different than mine. 
of staying in alignment. You know, when the children were reminded that the giants were still in the land, the cities are still fortified, it was to, to remind them, first of all, why the previous generation failed, and then to prepare them for success. And it's reminding them that they had a mission. If you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about they were a people of faith. They believed, but they didn't have a mission. When God called his people, he didn't call them just because they were really cool people. Not because he liked them in some different way because they deserved it. He called them because he wanted to call them. He had a mission for them to go and live differently. And if you would like to put it this way, now we have more clarity to the mission. We're to go and love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. You're to love him totally. If you do that, the first part of that mission, to going into the land and living in a different way that will bring me glory and honor, is automatically going to happen. And when we enter that promised land, we have, when our salvation, we get a, we, when we're saved, God has a destiny. He has a purpose. He has a mission for every one of us. In a general sense, we're to live our lives to bring glory and honor to him. And then he has a specific mission that he will call you and I to. It may be in the workplace. It may be to a mission field. Who knows what it's going to be? God knows. But if we are in alignment with God, and if I am just consumed with the passion for Jesus Christ, I'm going to hear his voice. One mission. Fulfill that mission. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. And you've heard this from me the last couple of weeks. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, his chosen people. He is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And Moses said to the people in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. Now, when I say Moses said, he is speaking the words of the Lord. The Lord gave him these words to the Lord. And when I read this verse, I just, I, I hear the heart of God in this. His desire. He says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me. Keep all my commandments. Always. So that it might go well with them and their children forever. Can you hear the heart of a loving father? This is what I desire for them. I desire for them to be blessed. That they would live long lives and they would prosper. That's my desire for them. What it exactly looks like, we don't know. Because even in that life, there's going to be those twists and turns and curves and hills and valleys. But if we are following the Lord, if we are aligned with him, because we have so many advantages, really, over these Old Testament saints. We have, you know, everything that they're asked to do and their failures because of the law we now don't have to worry so much about that stuff because any punishment, any, anything that God would want to pour out on us because we messed it up, God has already put it on Jesus at the cross. It's already done. It's dealt with. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in each one of us and given us great, great grace. So I said at the beginning, alignment is not the same as prioritizing. That doesn't mean prioritizing does not have a place in a person's life. Right? But alignment is not a situation where, well, okay, you know, God first, family second, 
ministry third, or job, whatever you want to put in there. And that sounds good, right? I've said it many, many, many times. But when I think about it, wait a minute, no. I'm not separating God from my family, from my work, from my ministry. I don't want to separate him from any of those things. I want to have an all-consuming passion for Jesus Christ, and out of that, all of these other things fit together. And the same thing goes for balance. Mike, you just got to balance things here. Don't get too goofy for Jesus. Yeah, I know ministry. I know, I know, I know what you think. I know you got to do that. But don't forget about your family. And don't forget about, you know, just having a little fun once in a while. Don't forget, you know, remember, keep it all in balance. Put that big picture of the scale up, or did they already? Thank you. Is that what it's supposed to look like? We separate loving the Lord from our family, our ministry, and whatever else we want to put on that side of the scale and hoping that it balances out. I do not want to be weighing my family, my ministry, my work, my recreational life against God. Sounds good. Balance. It will fall in to a God-given balance, if you would, when our life is aligned with him. The priorities, likewise, will fall into place if I'm aligned first. Again, alignment first. Then we can look and see what's our life look like. Because if we're aligned with God's purposes, his plans, and that's my driving force. I mean, what drives you? What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? If we weren't sitting in a church, we'd probably all say something like, oh, the Green Bay Packers. Well, not in this room. Just a few of you would. But we come up with all these things that we're passionate about. How many of us outside of this room, the first thing we say is, I am passionate about Jesus Christ. There is nothing more important in my life than Jesus Christ. Nothing. Everything else is aligned by that. It's harder and harder, doesn't it? I hope as we see this, you know, you've heard this before. The Old Testament is awesome because it points to Jesus Christ. It it points to how we can't possibly live the way God was asking those people to live. And we can't live that way either without Christ. We needed a Savior. We need the Holy Spirit. God has equipped us in ways under the new covenant that they were never, ever equipped under the old covenant. Not balance. How do you do this? How do I stay in alignment? Moses gives some instruction. Okay, Moses is a lot smarter than me because he heard God probably a lot clearer than I do. But what's he say? Let's go to verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. These words which I command you today shall be on your heart. Brothers and sisters, friends, if it's not in our heart first, it's not going to be something that happens in our family. If our hearts are not aligned, we're not going to be able to, you know, we try. We try. We're good at pointing out everybody else is getting out of alignment, but we, we, if our heart's not aligned first, 
It's not going to happen. It shall be on your heart. First thing. Second thing, he says, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, talking about your conversation. Primarily, he says, you shall teach them diligently. Reference to your children. He gives the command and he goes to the kids and he says, teach them to your children. To your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you get up, rise up. Diligently. That word Hebrew in the Hebrew means to just repetitively, over and over and over and over and over. Teach them diligently. Teach them again and again. Let them hear it again and again. Hear what? The whole law? You're going to sit there and read all 613 verses over and over, and that's all you're going to talk about? Well, let's narrow it down make it easier. Are we going to just do that? We're going to talk over and over and over and over and over and over about the Ten Commandments? I would offer to you, now that's not the other. I think what he's talking about is love the Lord your God. Have no other gods. Love them with your whole heart. Talk to your kids. Talk to your family. Why do we do things the way we do? Because we love Jesus. Why don't we do some things others are doing? Because we love Jesus. That's my passion. That's why we do these things. Talk about it. Talk about it in your home. You know, we're glad you all come to church. We hope your kids all get educated and trained and, and, and help. We help you as parents training them. But, you know, if it's only taking place here, it isn't going to work very good. It says, go to your house. Take it home. Is your passion for Jesus the same in your house as it is here on Sunday when you come and gather with brothers and sisters in Christ? Moses says, if you want to be in alignment, you need to see it at your home, in your house. Walk by the way. Walk by the way. Wherever you're going. Wherever you're going. Part of that mission, wherever you're going, people should know what your passion is. It doesn't mean you have to make a fool of yourself. Use some wisdom. Listen to the Holy Spirit. But wherever you go, why don't you guys do this? Well, you know what? We so love the Lord that we would not want to do something like that. We just don't want to disappoint him at all. Wherever you go, not ashamed to own God. Not ashamed to know and let the world know that you are a true Christian. Name only. And lie up and lie down and when you rise up, be talking about, you know, it's, and I confess I'm not always the best at this. But wouldn't it be a good thing to do the last thing you do at night? Visit with the Lord, and the first thing you do in the morning is to visit with the Lord. And if you're able to, first thing in the morning, kids are eating breakfast, let's share a little bit. Last thing in the evening, before you pull the blankets up, let's share a little bit. These are the things that Moses is telling the people. I believe, here's how you do it. Here's how we stay in alignment. And then he goes on in verses 8 and 9, and 8 and 9 are kind of interesting verses. Um, It says, first of all, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them down on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So, anybody got anything on their hand? Anything got anything on your forehead? Anybody got anything on the doorposts of your house? This is one of those examples. Why would we do that? 
the message isn't make sure you do that. His message is remind yourself continually, continually, continually. The Jewish people took this literally in about the first century. And what they did, they developed these things called Teflon. And there's an arm Teflon and they head Teflon. And when you look at this picture of a guy that's going to be right there, there we go, they put these on for morning prayers. And they take it from these scriptures. And, I, and I'm not saying, hey, there's something really wrong with this. I'm just saying, you don't have to do this. And really, the Bible didn't tell them they had to do this either. But their purpose is to be reminded. There's scriptures that Teflon on the head, oh, and they have detailed instructions. How do you make it? Where you wear it? Right at the crown of your head where the hair, the hair meets your forehead. And if you've got a receding hairline, you have to adjust it accordingly. Seriously. The one in your arm. The box is on the inside of your arm. So when you're praying, it's near your heart. Seven wraps around your arm, two around your hand, and it ends on the middle finger. All these details. Forget the legalism of it. Forget the religiosity of it. It's a saying, remember. Remind yourself whatever it takes for us. We don't want to get into legalism. We want to be driven by a consuming passion for Jesus Christ, not following a series of rules and regulations. We have the law written on our heart. We don't need to have it in a box on our forehead or a little box on our arm. It says the law is written on our heart. and We have the Holy Spirit to guide us and to teach us. And then there's something called a mezuzah. When it says, write this on the doorpost of your house, and, and most of the real Orthodox Jews, it's, if there's any room in your house that has a door sill all the way around it, it should be on there too. And every time you walk by it, 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 one of those little things you see in the bottom two rows are going to be attached there. And inside of it is a sp- specific scriptures. And now specific scriptures are given in every one of these things. The head thing has got four compartments, four different scriptures. The arm thing has specific scriptures. You can look all this up. The mezuzah has specific scriptures, all part of the Jewish religiosity. And it really looks like it started sometime in the first century. But the point is to remind them. So every time you walk by, and it's supposed to be about shoulder height, so you can just touch it with your hand. To remind you, you, every time you walk through the door, if you've got rooms in your house, the real Orthodox Jews will have one on every door, if, as long as there's a door sill hanging there, to remind them. Now, I look at that and they say, wow, what bondage. But the real thing we need to understand is the principle that he's trying to teach us. Always keep it at the forefront of your mind. Always have it in your heart. And he put it in our heart. He put it in our heart. There is an interesting definition of the word hand there. It says when you're on your hand. And I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but that word in the Hebrew is yad, Y-A-D. And it has a whole bunch of different meanings and usages. But some of the meanings can mean things, things like to, to, to power, the work, the, the direction. And some people say, you know, maybe that's a picture that we're not just supposed to talk, we're supposed to take action. The hand is representing our work and what we do, the direction. So everything that we would do, I don't know how biblically accurate that is, but I think it wouldn't be a bad thing in practice. 
our compassion should be present, presented to those around us, whatever we're doing, whatever it is we're doing. And then I'm just going to touch on this a couple minutes, promise. Deuteronomy 6, verses 10 through 12. This really resonates with me in the culture we live in in this country today. This country, believe it or not, no matter what you've heard on the news, we are a country blessed beyond amazing expectations. We are, we are, we are so blessed with abundance. But look at the warning that God gives through Moses. He says, starting in verse 10, Then it shall come. When? When you go into the promised land. He's saying, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and, and Joseph, or Jacob, excuse me, to give you great and splendid cities which you didn't build. Houses full of all kinds of good things that you didn't fill. Wells or human cisterns that you didn't have to dig. Vineyards and olive trees, sources of income that you didn't have to plant. And you can eat and be totally satisfied, even though you didn't do anything to earn it. Then watch yourself. The snare has been set. Remember, these people have been living in a tent for 40 years. Who knows if they even knew how to build a house? Don't worry. I'm going to give you cities after cities after cities. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you vineyards and olive groves. I'm going to give you all of these things that are already there. Because everywhere you go, I'm going to give you that land, and I'm going to give you those cities and every victory. In other words... You're going to have houses that you didn't even have to build. Live in cities that you didn't have to have to build at all. You're going to be able to go to wells that you didn't have to do one thing to dig them. They've all been dug for you. All of these things are yours. Talk about abundance. Talk about material blessings. Talk about prosperity in a materialistic way. It's not that the blessings were bad. His worry is... Watch out, be careful, so that you do not forget your God who blessed you with all those things. I've said this before, and many of you have probably said the same thing. In our nation, hardly anybody needs God. We've got everything. And if we don't have it, we deserve to go get a credit card and go buy it, because we deserve it. And our children are raised in this abundance A lot of the generation of our young parents were raised in this abundance of affluence in so many of our homes and families. And so many of our young people just expect it. This is to be the norm. This is what we've always had. And when difficult times come, will they be ready? God is warning them, when I'm going to bless you like this, But watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Every now and then it's really good for us to remember where we were before the Lord saved us and took us out of bondage and slavery to sin. Until he set us free from that. And the way that he has blessed us in so many ways, above and beyond what we could ever deserve. 
above and beyond what most of us could imagine. And in our culture, because we live in a culture of abundance and affluence, it's easy to get our eyes off of what we have and look at what everybody else has because it might be more than ours or better than ours, newer than ours, bigger than ours. All of a sudden, envy, jealousy. In a life in alignment with God, there is no place for that. Saying, you know, keep these things in your heart. Remember these things. Remind yourselves. Blessings come. Don't forget. God that brought this all to us, made it available to each and every one of us. There's a whole generation, maybe two, out there in our own nation who have really been trapped by this snare, I believe, of affluence, deserving attitude. We deserve it. Why? Because you're alive and breathing. We deserve it. They don't understand. They don't understand what neglect is. They don't understand what not having something is. Now, if you're my age, a lot of you could remember some things. We had five children in the house with mom and dad. On Friday night, we'd make popcorn and we'd take two bottles of pop and split it seven ways so we could have a treat. Popcorn was cheap. Those hand-me-downs, they weren't name brand either. (laughs) Name brand didn't exist. Anybody know that? You all paid cash. You know why? Credit cards weren't created yet. That's how old I am. We've got a generation or two that don't know that. They've never had to live that way. Prosperity is a tremendous blessing from God and can be used as a snare by the enemy very quickly. None of that stuff lasts, right? None of it's eternal. All going to burn up someday. I want to close with just going back to a reminder because I don't want anybody to get under the law. Okay? We are under grace. Thank God for grace. If nothing else, all these things that we see that were put on these people in the midst of the blessings, it was like they had to earn every one. They had to earn every one. I mean, just think, if they wanted to be, quote-unquote, saved, they had to follow the law. It's impossible. You and I can't get saved by following any rules and regulations. We get saved by grace because of what Christ did on the cross. They would be punished, a punitive thing, if they disobeyed. We don't get punished in a punitive way by God if we disobey, because who took all of the punishment for all our sin? Jesus Christ took it all. We do get disciplined. I've had more than my share of spankings from God. hope you have too but it's to correct us, to bring us back into alignment, to bring us back into that place of relationship. That's what God's desire is. It's so different. New covenant, it's not about performance, earning, and deserving something. In the new covenant, it's about believing and receiving.
Every good gift is from above. It's a gift. We receive it. God sent the Holy Spirit to do an inner transformation in our life. Aren't you glad you don't have to repay God for every time we sin? Some religions do, don't they? Yeah, they do. We live under grace. Not to be abused, but to be thankful for. I encourage you to read and meditate on chapter 6. You see something that you think, boy, did Mike mess that up? Let me know. But alignment. Get it in alignment properly. Just a simple, totally unspiritual example is how many of you have ever had a car with the wheels not in alignment? It just doesn't work very good. It doesn't go down the road nice and smooth. Tires wear out really fast. All of us in alignment with God, an all-consuming passion for Jesus Christ. Life will have twists and turns and bumps, but we'll never have to endure it alone. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will take the words that I shared, and Father, I pray you would apply them the way that you would intend in each one of our lives. Lord, I pray that if there's anything I said that was not of you, that it would just fall to the ground and would do no harm in anybody's life. Lord, I thank you for your word that we can trust it. Lord, I thank you that you have called each and every one of us, and by your grace, you have given us the ability to say yes to Jesus, his sacrifice, gift of salvation. Father, you've given us that by grace. You even give us the faith that we have to receive it as a gift of grace. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts as far as being in alignment with a consuming passion for Jesus. That all of the other things in our lives would fit into place properly when we're aligned with you. I pray that we would be able to to share those things in our lives that you have given us because of Jesus. That we're able to share the peace that we have in the midst of a crazy world. That we would be able to, to share the hope that we have, the certain hope that we have in Jesus in a world that's looking everywhere for hope. That we would be able to receive that unconditional love that you have for us, that we may be a conduit to love others. Father, I thank you and praise you that that's your heart. Lord, I pray now today that as we go our different directions, we would go prepared as your ambassadors to penetrate the world in all those places that you've allowed us to go positions of influence that you've given each one here to share the good news of Jesus. Pray you would keep us safe. Watch over us. We pray for those that are still suffering from this virus and other sicknesses and diseases. We pray for those that are struggling with fear, God. We pray that the faith of the Holy Spirit would rise up in each one. We thank you. God, for our brothers and sisters that are be able to gather here and those that are gathering with us online, we thank you for them, for the family that you've surrounded us with. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.